0: Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys, well, welcome to another episode of Thrybites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you for coming on. Today, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest. With us today, her name is Chelsea Boyo Nieto. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, you know for taking the time out. And I'm very, very happy for people to hear, you know, what you are um, all about. Um, to be here, so, for those of you who do not know who she is, she is a international board certified lactation consultant. She does work in the hospital setting, working with brand new families, NICU babies, and Returning patients to her lactation yes. clinic. Um, she does private consulting for a nonprofit in Santa Monica with mostly yes. underprivileged families. And she is the co owner of Oral Baby. And she has an online platform for lactation support through telehealth platforms. So, thank you so much yes. for coming on to the show.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So Very excited. I love Very excited. to hear
0: we'll start off by asking, you know, I love to hear people's stories from point A to point B. And, you know, the centerpiece sure. of this podcast is really hearing about, you know, where they come from, how they came to be at this current moment in time. So can you share with us, you know, your story about yeah. how you got into lactation consultant sure. and how you are wearing the several hats that you're wearing to doing your current role?
1: Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, it's interesting, Colin, that this is not, I, I put together some things when you had sent me these questions and I had an opportunity to sort of like think about <laughs> how I've come to where I am and um, how my background kind of primed me for this. Cause it's ironically in a decade, it's not a thing that I had really taken the time to think about. I was Born uh, outside of the country, I was born in Honduras. My father worked for the U.S. Embassy, um, and so as a child, we moved around a lot, all over Latin America, the Dominican Republic, and Costa Rica, and um, so there was a lot of like back and forth. and And I think when I think back on it now, the thing that makes me most passionate about lactation um, and how natural infant feeding works is the accessibility. The um, overall magic of it, without it costing anything, and having grown up sort of surrounded by poverty in all of these places that we lived, um, it, it just has it's it's just such an easy shift into, okay, well, here's a really basic thing that if we can make work for you, increases the odds that you and your children will survive Mm -hmm. by like outrageous amounts (laughs) you know so excuse me so it has been a long slow process um I went to Cal State Northridge eventually got my degree in psychology there um of course because all of us who don't know what we're doing we get hey I did so too and um yeah yeah no, did no. Also, surprising. Okay, well, the thing is that for pre-med major, <laughs> we
0: there is no actual <laughs> definition of it. Most people would actually pursue a science major, and I just thought to myself, right. I'm going to be overwhelmed with science in medical right. school, so I'm going to go with psychology, and that's what I did.
1: Yeah, that's a really smart move because I think that the the one thing that at least the medical professionals with whom I Serve every day. I feel like that, like bedside manner, basic understanding of like, you know, trauma informed care and patient centeredness mm-hmm. is kind of lacking. So I dig that. I think that's a really, it's a really wise way to go. Um, I was not going to be a doctor, so I probably could have specialized a little more in something. Spent a few more minutes thinking about it, um, but I ended up you know, work in retail and, you know, restaurant, like whatever I could do to pay the bills through college. And then it's like, as soon as I graduated, I was like, I just needed to be mm-hmm. in some kind of helping profession. Um, I just felt drawn to be doing something mm. that was not selling people crap they didn't need. Right. So I got a job working as a behavioral therapist for children with autism. I did that for about a year. And then a friend hooked me up with another friend and I ended up um, getting a really wonderful job through First 5 LA. Um, it was a pilot program um, for uh, called Welcome Baby. Um, it's still running. It's extremely successful and it's spread all over um, Los Angeles now. And about 10 years ago, I got to be part of like the first crew to come in and sort of help, you know, grow the baby, which was really cool. Um, and because we didn't have a lot of... Um, We didn't have any clients really (laughs) when we were all hired. They were going to put us through like a three-month just intensive training just to get everybody, you know, kind of where we needed to be in terms of like child development and attachment and infant and maternal mental health and all of these like really cool things. And the very first day – of work, I walked in and on our desks, we had a lactation textbook mm-hmm. because part of our job was going into the home with families where um, women were either pregnant or had just given birth and working with these families through that sort of perinatal period. And we had to be certified lactation educators mm-hmm. because boobs are kind of a thing, right? It's like a perinatal safety core measure through joint commission. It's the thing, the World Health Organization, everybody, CDC, healthy families, 20, like everybody in the world, we're moving towards... Mm-hmm. Just doing what we're supposed to be doing, anyways, and so because there was nothing else to do, I kind of just like cracked open a textbook, and I think a paragraph in, I was like, "Okay, I found mm. it. Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of my life," and uh, I I just it was full steam ahead. Like I we did the CLE training, the Certified Lactation Educator training, which was fantastic. And I worked in that position being a home visitor for a couple of years. I had my first child, and on my return, um, I got lucky enough to be able to move from a position as a home visitor to um, doing like the intake in the hospital for moms who were enrolling um, postpartum. And I loved it because I got to go and focus a little bit more on <laughs> boobs. I got to go in and like really like in this very critical like, arguably the most criti- critical point in the first couple of days, I really got to, I got a really good, I think, um, experiential right. education, being able to start doing that work. We did not have lactation support at the hospital I worked at. There wasn't a lactation consultant. So my coworkers and I, who were working for this program, kind of like picked up the slack. And I just loved it. I got very lucky, and after asking a couple of times, the hospital acquiesced and did eventually um, pay for my entire training <laughs> to become an IBCLC, mm-hmm. which was amazing because um, it's not a cheap uh, process. And I sat for the exam in 2013, if I'm not mistaken, and I wow. have been doing this ever since. And I love being in the hospital environment um, partially because it's where I get to serve the most. I am sort of a big proponent of home birth for women who are low risk. Um, I don't believe that being in a hospital is necessarily the safest place for someone who doesn't already have additional needs. Um, But the way our medical system is set up, you know, the women who Mm -hmm. have the least amount of money have the least amount of choices. And so I've always served a primarily Medi-Cal population. And while there's not much I can do about like, you know, the things that frustrate me about the way pregnancy and birth is managed in the U S because I think empirically we know it's not good, um, based on (laughs) worldwide numbers and, and rates of Mm -hmm. infant and maternal morbidity and mortality. Um, I get to kind of be on the back end and support Mm -hmm. people who may have had some trauma (laughs) or maybe recovering from some trauma. And like you said, working with babies and moms who have been separated for whatever reason, um, babies in NICU, Mm -hmm. mom has COVID, whatever crazy nonsense the hospital is trying to avoid a lawsuit over. um, It's just, it's a beautiful place to be. So I get to do that, and I'm extremely grateful for it. And I get to do my, cr- be creative, and I get to sort of run this amazing, wonderful, mm-hmm. fun little company with Reshmi, um, with my friend Reshmi uh, Oro Baby, where we get to like, I get to be a little bit mm. more me <laughs> on the back end. Um, so there's just so many different ways that I've found to incorporate this, and it has become all-consuming. And I'm very grateful that I have a partner who. Is very understanding and supportive and yeah. <laughs> like, let me kind of just roll with it because it's, it's a, it's a project. It is a worldwide project that getting moms to breastfeed is not the problem. We have to fix the structures that will or will not support them mm-hmm once they've had the baby, right? It's enough. It's not yeah. enough to just be like, yep, you should breastfeed. It's the best thing for your baby. And then the kid comes yeah, out and yeah. you're like, oh, we don't have a lactation consultant in the hospital <laughs> or you can't get a breast pump or you know, whatever these, th- or you have to go back to work in six weeks because of some fool's idea of what recovery looks like. Um, so we've just, we've sort of set women up, well, birthing people, lactators up for failure in a lot of ways. And so I've taken this on as not only like the one-on-one work that I get to do to support moms and individual families and those dyads on their own, because that does change the course of their family trajectory, yeah. the, the health of their family for generations to come. So I see that and I value that, but it's also doing some of this like fun, like, you know. Sneaky no. advocacy and like social activism so, that I get to just go back So, oh, by so the way.
0: before um <laughs> before you got into <laughs> lactation, did you you did you didn't have any other career? You weren't planning on doing something else. This was like it, right? No.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I thought I wanted to be uh, a an obstetrician for a minute. I now know that if I go in that direction, it will probably be through uh, the midwifery <laughs> track. And I'm not saying it won't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I've got too many kids and too many jobs now. So I'm focusing on the boobs because I love them. Um, and I I don't know, I bounced around doing a bunch of stuff, but I feel just abundantly lucky to have found very early on, relatively early on in my life, what it was that I wanted to do and had the support around me um, to get it done. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it's not always the case.
0: <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I think having that support system is important, whether you go through, you know, something that you fall in love with, sure. and you have that support system to carry you forward. Or, you know, if you don't, you know, meet your goals or you encounter an obstacle and you still have that support system to move you forward, you know, of course, um, walk us through that moment in time where you had that aha moment, because there's a lot of people that, um, you know, go through life and not knowing what they were meant to do or, you know, what their passion is. And I like to kind of share, you know, for those, you know, you seem to just have it right. And so what is that? What does that mean? What was that for you? What
1: it looked like for me was really just that simple. I opened this book, I looked at a paragraph, and I was like, "Oh God, that's awesome!" Like this is a really default way to kind of fight the man <laughs> a little bit. Um, <laughs> boobs, like, yes, they sell beer, but they also feed babies and save lives. So, like, let's you know balance that out a little. <clears throat> um, so that was an easy. That for me was was easy. I I think the only the only thing that I can point to that helped me is that even as someone in my 20s who was maybe a little bit like type A and wanted to have all the answers and everything planned and all the yada yada, it really spoke to me as being just something organic. And I kind of just let it develop on its own without the expectation that it had to happen at any certain point. You know, Because I think there's this immediate gratification of, hey, I know what I want. I want it now. I want to see the I want to see it t- come to fruition the moment I've decided that this is my thing. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, it was, I think the thing that was challenging was that as soon as I read that paragraph, I immediately thought, oh, I don't think I want to be doing this job that I just got. I think I just want to be doing mm-hmm. boobs. And I had just started <laughs> and I ended up working uh, for that program for years, you know, and I I did just give myself the space to let it develop. I don't think that I would, you know, you you don't know what you don't know and i i didn't have any children at the time i had never been through the process i sure i knew nothing about moms and babies and the intricacy of all of that I had no clue and i don't think that it,
0: And you didn't have any like past experiences, you know, you didn't, you say you didn't have children, nor did you have like any type of, you know, family experiences or friend experiences having, you know, something that inspired you. You just kind of clicked for you.
1: Yeah. It just kind of, it just kind of clicked. And instead of forcing it, I just kind of stepped back and said, all right, well, I guess like. I know what I want to happen. And I think I went home that day and said to my husband, like, I'm going to be a lactation consultant. Like, this is a thing that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know when. Um, but this is going to happen. And surely enough, like, as I – but I had things to learn, right? I needed a I needed a foundation to be set that I didn't know I was lacking. Um, and I can look back at my time in that process of getting there. And just point to all of the really important stuff I learned and all Mm -hmm. of the really important things. 99% of what I do, (laughs) Colin, has nothing to do with boobs. Normal newborn behavior, reasonable expectations, crying, what does it mean? How does infant sleep work? Like it's all of these pieces that move around because it's not – it's not like a one-stop shop. It's not just like the boobs are here and the vagina is over there and the uterus is over here and the family's over there and bills are in the back. Like everything, it is a holistic mm-hmm. situation and you cannot address one without acknowledging all the rest. And I think okay. that having spent the time I spent working with hundreds, maybe thousands of families over the course of the last decade, I – have been able to really learn to focus on what that individual dyad needs, but have an understanding that, like, at our core, our physiology, our science, if you will it's the same. Babies don't need different things just because families have different expectations of them. You know, human Mm -hmm. development isn't different just because it's inconvenient for some. Right. And so, and I can say that having been a mom who has worked full time and breastfed full time and knowing that these are not easy things, these are not easy things to balance, but there's ways to stack the deck. And so my goal now, especially with Oro baby, since I'm already doing the back end work, right. I'm already doing the hands-on dealing with babies with crappy sucks or, you know, a- angry musculature in their neck and face from being vacuumed. You know what I mean? Like all of the yeah. NICU babies and all the Pitocin and the and the epidurals and all the things that get <laughs> in the way of how this is supposed, the, of the steps that are needed to take for this to work. The things we do affect that. But I get to now with Oro Baby start working on like, well, let's get you guys some like, upfront help because I know yeah. that your doctors mean well but they don't know because I know yeah. that y'all don't get lactation training unless you want to take it as an elective right so which is absurd. let's'
0: let, let's start let's start from the nitty-gritty yeah. um you know let's let's talk about what does lactation consulting you know consists of you know let's sure. take it through like a short 101 with people
1: oh, okay well it is so individual <laughs> to every family so I'll do my best to give you like a of a wider scape. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what we do, what I do, um involves assessing the physical structures of both mom and baby. Um we do I do a lot of work around educating just on like how milk production happens, when it happens, how we know it's working. Um, a lot of trying to get babies who are having a hard time sucking or having a hard time feeding. Um, even working with NICU babies sometimes who ha- are unable to nipple at a bottle because that's the standard, but it's not physiologically what's normal. So having worked with babies who sometimes they can do really great at the breast and not have any desaturations, but with the bottle they do and working with NICU staff to like get the kids out of there. Um also working with moms who have like really high, you know, health issues. There are some conditions that can make it so that your transition from colostrum, which is milk that's produced by the hormones of the placenta. Everybody who has a boob and has been pregnant has some milk in their breasts, right? The Mm -hmm. question is, is it going to transition to that demand and supply process correctly? And that's where the mess is. So we try our best to make sure babies are getting fed, and then make sure that we're protecting the milk supply. And then if we can do all of that while the baby is latched to the breast, fantastic. And if we can't, it's a thing we sometimes have to build up to and it can take days and it can take weeks. And um, I've even had it take months. So it sort of depends on, but every situation is so different that to be able to say like, here's the, every situation is different. You know, Mm -hmm. Giving a lot of education, anticipatory guidance to moms about what's normal and then supporting the staff around them because I am just one person and I only work 40 hours a week and I have some lovely coworkers, but they also only work 40 hours a week. And as you know, hospitals don't close. It's 24 seven. So making sure that like my staff is, is sort of training them the same way I'm training the parents and making Mm -hmm. sure that everybody feels like they're getting the support they need to be able to continue supporting moms. Right. Mm -hmm. That is a very long convoluted answer to a very simple question, but it is really hard. You know, it it just depends so heavily on what's going on with that particular mom and baby. I guess the, the core is the three rules are the first rule is feed the baby. Um, Mm -hmm. However, we need to do that if we're struggling. The second rule is get the milk supply up and running and maintain it. And then the third rule is get latching to work. So Mm -hmm. it's, those are the three components that we need to make sure we're <laughs> working with every family, with every consult. And the the journey that each dyad takes is completely its own thing. Right. So right. yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and so so and so it's very interesting. And, and you know, from my limited uh, OB GYN training sure. when I was you know coming up, um, it, it does it does require a lot of components and a lot yeah. of variables. You know, you yeah. have to look at the mother, um, seeing what she's willing to work with. You know, whether she, even she has wants, to
1: work with. Yeah, yeah totally.
0: What, what she has to work with. Um, whether she even wants to breastfeed at all. You know, right. some are just like I don't even want to get near sure. that and go straight to the bottle or formula or something, sure. you know, that's not the breast. Sure. And then, um, you know, it's the compatibility with the mother and the child. And then yeah. you also have to see, okay, what is the father doing? How can yes. they contribute sure. and all these other things? So right. I guess the next question would be, um, you know, what would be the the, the health implications, mm-hmm. you know, from, you know, improper... Uh, I guess, application or, you know, not breastfeeding, you know, well enough. And, you know, what are, what are, why is that important? Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview.
1: So there are – I think this is, if I may, sort of reframe the question a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's two parts of it. There's what happens when we can't get breastfeeding working or when it's not an option. Um, and then the other question is what happens when we're trying to make it work and it's not, right? So Because f- there's these are two kind of critically important things that are sort of the same but sort of not. Um, when we're trying to make it work and it's not happening – There is always a point where we have to be like, listen, (laughs) we all do the, as parents, we all do the best we can. My first child had first food was like avocado mixed with like pixie dust. It took me a month to build up to it. I like sprayed him down with breast milk first. Like it was a whole thing. My third child crawled over to a Cheeto on the floor at the park when he was seven months old and just started like going to town. So we all do the best we can. They will all be okay. (laughs) You know, I don't think like it's not about making anybody feel inferior. What I think we have to move away from is this idea that breast is best. I hate that saying. It drives me absolutely insane because it's not best. It's the biological norm. Human babies, in comparison to other mammals, are cute but useless. Horses come out walking, right? Puppies can communicate. We, in terms of our abilities at the end of that nine months of gestation, are basically still fetuses, right? So the fourth trimester, which is that first three to four-ish months after giving birth, is basically just the outside portion of your pregnancy. Your breasts take over the job that the placenta had, right? So it's not about, oh, this is best, but this is okay. It's about your baby's body is expecting and requires the ongoing programming Support and development that is coming through the breast milk Mm -hmm. or your human milk, right? So the implications of not doing that, it's not that breast is best. It's not that breast milk is better. It's not that your risks or your baby's health risks are lower by breastfeeding. It's the biological norm. Those risks are higher if you don't. I love you all the same. I will support you and make sure that your baby is well fed regardless, but it's the same way we do informed consent for everything or should be doing informed consent for everything. Here Mm -hmm. are the risks and benefits. If the benefits outweigh the risks, then let's work on it. If you feel the other way around, it is a valid thing for a mom or a, Birthing person to say, I can't, I won't. It's not me. I'm not comfortable with it, and that we then come up with a plan to make sure that baby is not being overfed and isn't then at risk for SIDS and respiratory distress. <laughs> and you know, like we we work with those moms on these things and protect your breasts because they may not know that they're not going to be used. Right? We don't want mm-hmm. you ending up with an abscess or back in the hospital with mastitis or something. Mm-hmm. So there's there's. It's not really about guilting anybody into doing anything they don't want to do. We have to acknowledge that these are sovereign human beings who have the the right and the ability and the responsibility to make decisions for themselves and their families. and so whatever decision they make is going to be the best because they are the expert on their baby.
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: I want to do, and admittedly, being in the hospital after just having given birth, this is the worst time to try to convince anybody to do anything because... I mean, I probably would have given my kid tequila if they'd offered, I was so tired. I couldn't give you an answer. I'm not sure you can do informed consent when someone is in labor or in that kind of distress, right? has <clears throat> just given birth. So I think that like in those moments, the the goal is not you must breastfeed, you have to breastfeed. It's the best thing for your baby. The goal is here are your options. If it's something you're really not wanting to do, let's talk about it. The thing that I like to stress is that you can always start formula. You can have a an, an eight-month-old and start formula. You can start formula at any time. You cannot reliably or effectively, for most people, restart lactation after the first few days. And after the first month, you are guaranteed to not be able to make enough milk for that baby. So if you'll give me four to six weeks, <laughs> we can get your milk supply established, get mm. your baby through... What is admittedly the most dangerous time, right? That first 30 days is like anything mm-hmm. is, is chaos. Uh, and at that point, if you hit six weeks and you're like, eh, not for me, and you want to stop, I will help you stop. And we can always, interestingly, bring your supply back up to that level that it was at if we need to. The
0: mm-hmm. problem is if
1: we don't set the baseline effectively in the first four to six weeks, you do not get that, that chance, again, mm-hmm. with this pregnancy, with this baby.
0: Yeah. So that's very interesting because, um, you know, because I've always been taught and, you know, been said exactly that phrase, you know, breast is best. Right. And, um, you know, they're you know, co- you know, we're I don't know if it's a good idea to, <laughs> to go, yeah. kind of go into. You know the differences and the benefits, um, and uh, and probably is a good idea to go between. You know, is it what's the difference between you know natural breast human breast milk versus yeah. cow's milk versus soy and stuff like that? But I like it how you present it in a way where here are your options, sure. and here are your you know benefits and risks. It's kind of like how we you know yes. offer medications and yes. you know making sure the proper way of doing it is okay, Miss Smith, you have. Have sure. high blood pressure here are your options right. and so and those are the pros and cons of each one of them and so i like that because it gives them a chance to be informed it gives us it sure. gives them a chance to be empowered so they can figure out what they do but at least you tell them hey you know what at least give me a chance let's just go through the first four right. weeks because this right. is critical you yes know what I'm
1: saying? and especially you know and i i I didn't, I didn't mean to be smug when COVID-19 hit and there was no formula in the stores, but I was a little bit. Cause I was like, this is the thing that I've been sent. You know, we live in earthquake country y'all. Like what about when the next big one hits and water mains are busted and there's no wick for you to go get your form? Like what are the plans here? Right. Because if we don't establish this well, initially you don't even have that as an option, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so to me, because I'm a lazy mom, <laughs> who does not like to spend any extra money if she doesn't have to, okay? Um, I feel like it, it was it's worthwhile to at least give it a fighting chance. If it's not for you, if it doesn't work, that's okay. I, that's okay. It's it's an okay thing to say, but I, I don't feel like most people go into it understanding and even physicians like it's just, Oh yeah, well you can, you know, do both. Well, you do both. Well, what does that mean? Are we doing both at the beginning? Cause if we're doing that, that means this baby's not going to breastfeed past a couple of months. Right. And didn't you just tell her that she should breastfeed for six?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: what are we doing to, to, to fix this? And, and I do feel horrible for physicians <laughs> because I know that the training is not there. The education is not there. They don't give you what you need to be able to succeed in supporting your patients this way. I think every clinic dealing with moms and babies should have a lactation consultant available, someone who works for that clinic who can support these families because it really is. If if we're honest and we we really want our, if we are truly doing what we do in the best interest of these families' health, then we can't just ignore this, right? We just can't. Mm-hmm. The risks of asthma, food and environmental allergies, childhood cancers. Um, later on in life, we see autoimmune conditions cropping up that are being connected to, to artificial infant feeding. If we're being honest, right, like we, we want to help families. And if we want to help families, this is the easiest, most default way to get that started, right? Mm -hmm. Babies who are not breastfed end up in the emergency department with respiratory issues, pneumonia, bronchitis, asthma, with outrageously higher frequency than children who are breastfed, right? So just basic stuff, like the kids that we are working with, like if our goal is to give them the most basic shot at living a really long healthy life mm-hmm. this is a really easy way to do it and i say easy because it is fairly simple but not right so mm-hmm. it requires support it requires follow up it requires people to be able to access these services um which you know for a lot of really annoying reasons a lot of hospitals and health services don't really support mm-hmm. um but this is a really easy way to just make our families and our communities healthier and stronger and safer, right? So so
0: yeah, so going off of that, that's um, I, I appreciate you uh, going into the health implications because it is very, very important, um, especially, you know, in my practice, you know, you see a lot of asthma, you see a lot sure. of environmental allergens, mm-hmm. and you see a lot of things that can be associated or maybe even tied to from... You know their early childhood, sure, um, and that period of you know uh, weaning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. so super important to know. But going off of the the barriers, you know, give us a little bit of snippet of like what are the barriers and obstacles, you know, for different kinds of families in terms of you know doing this properly.
1: Hi, <sighs> there's so many. I I I do feel as though and this is not necessarily the fault of physicians because again this is not this is training that should be i mean if i'm being honest i should probably be like yelling at medical schools and not getting mad at uh, the physicians like what are you guys doing like give them the education they need to do what you're asking them to do right um i there's such a disconnect between what is being uh taught and what is being put into practice and what's lacking in that education and that practice. And I don't think that there's been for whatever reason, and, and I don't really know what the reasons are, I I don't think it helps that there's like no money really to be made in lactation. Like there's no service. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's not like a product. It's not like, you know, formula companies and pharmaceutical companies that own the formula companies that can go and lobby right? Because they can show up with their samples and it's not the same thing. It requires having a person or a couple of people or a team of people who can work with the physician to make sure that everything is going well. And it's a lot of, it's much more labor intensive. And so, um,
0: It's the same thing with prevention for us. You know, we, we get the minimal, I talk about it all the time on my show where, you know, we get, we get very almost zero nutritional slash lifestyle education. Right. And that's what mostly we fight is chronic lifestyle related diseases. Right. And um, a little bit of like
1: vitamin D out in the sun and like roll around in the dirt somewhere and like eat something that, you know, didn't get processed in a factory.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, is that we, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't make money, you know what I'm saying? It's not a product or a procedure to sell. Right. So, um, so I get it.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So we're very much in the same space, uh, because of that. So, you know, the, the things that get, that get the money are the things that make the money. Right. And so this is not a thing that makes money and the, it's not one of those instant gratification things, you know, the, the importance of breast milk of human milk for human babies Um, It's sometimes something that you don't see for, you know, you won't necessarily notice for years. It's a dose-dependent, those are dose-dependent benefits, right? Not benefits, Mm -hmm. but they're dose-dependent effects, right? So breastfeeding for any amount of breastfeeding is spectacular and important and has really huge implications for the for the health of the child and the health of the mother, Um, not just physically, but emotionally as well. Not breastfeeding um, is actually correlated pretty strongly with higher rates of postpartum depression. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, a lot of important effects of using human milk for human babies and breastfeeding, if you can. Um, But there's, there's just this huge... I don't even know how to... How to say it exactly. I feel like there's, I'm never at a loss for words and yet here I am, right? Let's get all excited. (laughs) It's it's basic stuff. It's basic stuff that is not taught and is not supported. And so we end up seeing where we would see the quote unquote benefits of the breastfeeding. We expect to see them right away, right? We're Mm -hmm. like, well, I want to see that this works right this moment. Or, you know, I have the moms who lovingly and very sweetly, because I'm sure someone, some schmuck said to them oh well breastfed babies don't get sick and they'll be like well my kid still has asthma you know and I'm thinking well imagine how bad it would be if there were cow's milk allergens or soy allergens in the food you were feeding them you know and so thank goodness they had your milk and you know what I mean like I'm thinking but I don't ever say that to anybody because it's like a horrible thing to say
0: I mean I would say I mean like I would say mm-hmm. why not because you want to be able to stress that point you know what I'm saying so it's,
1: it's definitely so it depends right because I also need to respect a mom and going back in time to what happened a few years ago, trying to change your mind about that when you experienced it is not conducive to what I'm trying to do. No, yeah, You know? And so it, it's meeting moms where they're at. You know, I, I think it's treating each, it's just basic. It's reflective listening, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, yes, I, I understand that like, I see how your birth went down. I looked at your chart, but I don't have to come in here and be like, "Well, you really shouldn't have gotten that epidural." You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's yeah. just that's I totally mean, like hindsight it. hindsight
0: it is 2020, but it's sure. it's kind of moot, you know, because totally. it, it, a lot of time has passed. It doesn't make a difference. We've though, done it. Know? Like
1: we, this is what's happened, you know. I yeah. um if if you know, we know that uh routine infant circumcision affects babies' ability to breastfeed. A lot of babies have a trauma reaction. Um, and don't breastfeed afterwards, I'm not going to go in and be like, well, you probably shouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? You go in and you say, let's fix it. Let's do what we can now to optimize the outcome, right? Because I'm not here to guilt you, to convince you. I'm just the boob lady, but let's see if we (laughs) can, let's do what we can with what you've got and what I know to make this work. And the one thing I will say is the hospital I currently work for, we are a community service. Like I have had moms from other parts of the city come in because it's a free service to come to, to use us for lactation. And to me, that is. Uh, that is so advanced and so progressive <laughs> in mm-hmm. like practice because this is something that should just be available to everybody, everybody and not just yeah. because you have a certain level of income that allows you to get WIC and you just happen to get lucky that the WIC office you go to happens to have a great breastfeeding support system or because you have the extra, you know, $300 on you to go ahead and you know, see me privately a few times. Do you know what I mean? Like it should be something that is available to everybody. And so, you know, yes, I still need to get paid and feed my family and do all of that. But this is something that insurance should be covering 100%. I should not have to ask families to pay me. It should be that I'm just getting paid because this is something that Advances the entire the entire mission statement of every health organization in the entire world.
0: But I think um, you know, obviously, how things work is you know getting getting the education, getting the science back by it, you know, sure. lobbying for it, and you know, there's just a lot of a lot of stuff in between, you know. So, yeah. um, and there but, are a
1: lot of organizations that have done that and do that work, and there's there's a dense like dense Body of empirical evidence, uh, research that exists about this. So we, I, I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of people who came before me. Oh um, yeah, which for which I am eternally grateful because I get to be indignant because <laughs> right, I've already right. got all that behind me. Going, y'all know it's there. Like what, it's not a secret. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been abundantly made clear. You know by decades of research, um, right? you know, so yeah, I, I know so, that there's a bit of a privilege in there.
0: <laughs> oh, no, definitely. It's, it's important to be aware of that. So going off the, the point in terms of um, just in general, is there an ideal minimum um, in terms of how long one yeah. needs to breastfeed or an ideal maximum? Hey, guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview.
1: So the ideal minimum is six months of exclusive breast milk feeding. I always go back to work, so it's not always feeding at breast, but pumping and and providing my babies with my pumped milk. Um, If it can be done, that is the ideal. The first six months – You know, from what we understand, the human gut is not fully done developing until somewhere between six and eight months of life. So, part of the reason human milk is so important is because where there are spaces between the enterocytes, right, in the gut lining that are still in the process of sealing. Human milk going through into the wider body is not a problem because it has all of these immune factors, it has all of these growth factors, all of these hormonal factors that are just going to continue to kind of do the construction on the inside of the baby's body. Whereas mm-hmm. artificial milk going in through those holes causes an inflammation reaction, which is where we're seeing a lot of these illnesses crop up from, right? Because now we mm-hmm. know how many illnesses and how many chronic conditions are the result of inflammation, you know? So, there's, there's the ideal is six months. I would say even six to eight. One of my kids let me go to eight. One of them was like, I'm five months old. You will feed me now. The same kid who crawled over to the Cheeto at the park. Kids are different. (laughs) There are, Mm -hmm. there are um, everyone. We can't just apply a single, you know, plan, but around six months is the general recommendation of only. And and then in the U S Um, for various reasons that we don't need to necessarily go into, we say up to a year or longer if you'd like. World Health Organization, UNICEF, recommend at least two years. The human immune system, I think, is something like 60% developed at a year. That's Mm -hmm. not much. That's like about half, right? But if part of the job of human milk is to continue the development of the baby that the placenta started on the inside of you, it makes sense then that you would want to go as long as you can. And actually, when you look at the natural age of human weaning, it's somewhere between like four to I think four to five years. If you just let a kid go, mm-hmm. that's about the time that they'll be like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. which ironically is about the time that the immune system for most children seems to be pretty autonomous. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of sort of beautiful symbiosis and all of these like little things that come together in this big wonderful thing. <laughs> um it's all holistic, right? It is a whole yeah. process. It's all these processes coming together. Um so that's those are the general recommendations. I yeah. find that, you know, having breastfed all of my children uh well into their third year of life, um that even in talking to moms like it's a thing that we don't have a real good count on how many moms are breastfeeding past a year or past two years because so many moms will be like, Oh, yeah, no, I just, I, I never left the house. I didn't do it outside of the house, right. but my kid breastfed until they were like six. And I'm like, All right, rock on. <laughs> like, that's, I don't know how else to put a baby to sleep. I, I don't, you know, I, when I finally kicked my oldest one off, I was like, All right, well, I guess it's bedtime. Like, good luck. I didn't know, you know what I mean? Like, to me, there's something really, Obvious about just stick a boob in their face and they go to sleep, and then you can like move about your life, yeah, um so it's I not think... it's much more common I think than we realize, but it's been so stigmatized that you know everyone's kind of hiding in their apartments, which yeah. i yeah
0: it's you know. it's it's huge um there's so many layers to this because. Yeah. Know, I mean, asked. Yeah. And, and and that's and that's like way beyond, you know, what we can sure. you know what we can put into an episode. But totally. you know, but but uh with that aside, you know, it's it is important. You know, the science is there, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I learned the same timeline as well. Um, yeah. but there's also a lot of Other aspects, you know, you have cultural aspects, you know, there's, you know, like you were mentioning before about people hiding and doing this in public, you have the political aspects you have, you know, so there's just so many things that kind of, you know, my, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen type of scenario where, you know, at the end of the day, we just want to hone the message is, you know, it's it's better for your baby you know if you can get at least 4 to 6 yeah. preferably 6 months ideally 1 plus you know anything and you uh, can
1: get into your baby any amount of human milk that you can put into your baby is a gigantic gift yeah gigantic gift in in the NICU <clears throat> excuse me in the NICU we have we, do, we any NICU that is worth its weight in anything, now has um, a process of oral care. So babies who are not being fed necessarily, who are too small or too sick or who are being fed, but mom doesn't have like an outrageous amount of milk, even a drop of colostrum <laughs> used to paint the inside of the baby's cheeks or their gum line uh, decreases the risk of necrotizing enterocolitis by 80%. Just that.
0: And what is that for? So that like- is
1: essential so that is, necrotizing enterocolitis is a, it's a gut infection. It's where the, mm-hmm. your, your gut starts to die, right? And this is a mm-hmm. very common, um, unfortunately, not so common anymore because most NICUs now use um, donated human milk for, for very small early babies. But for preterm infants who spend months in the NICU, this is a pretty common complication and it can mm-hmm. kill them. But just using the drops of drops of human milk <laughs> from their mm-hmm. mom, um live human milk, which is the big difference between human milk and and artificial milk, is that it's alive and it is constantly changing, and within a couple of hours of holding your baby, what's in the milk is literally tailored to them for the next feed, which is really cool um, but like just the drop <laughs> it's yeah percent that's huge. That is a huge, 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 it's it's not milk. Human milk is medicine is what it is, is just what it is. And so we can fight it (laughs) or we could just use it. And it doesn't mean that every, you know, I have had, I've had countless number of patients whose babies unexpectedly ended up in the NICU who were willing after we discussed and counseled and talked about and they thought about to express their milk for their babies while they were in an ICU, we would then maybe try to work on getting them to latch if the mom was amenable, just because if it works, it's a lot easier than having to pump and wash and sterilize and it's cleaner and it's safer. And it's just again, lazy mom over here. So part of this is just like do less work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially if the less work is actually what's in the baby's best interest and yours as well. Um and for some of those moms, they're just like, I can't do this. I don't like it. I want to stop. And then we have a process to like wean them off of pumping once baby's out of NICU. Mm-hmm. Every situation is different and I I am so grateful to every little bit of willingness that a a parent shows in terms of just trying to do this because it's, yes, I've had three, I've had a baby in a hospital and I've had two home births and I am very much like the kumbaya, bury the placenta, sing to the moon person, hundred percent. Not everybody (laughs) is, not everybody has to be. And any little bit that I can help you with is going to be a gigantic coo for you and your baby. So let's just, yeah. you know, use me is kind of what I'm trying to say. Like y'all, <laughs> I am here. I am begging to help you with your boobs. Use me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's important because everyone is going to come at it differently. And I yes. think that's what makes your role very, very dynamic. Um, yeah. yeah, but I love it. Um, so we're going to close out and okay. um, I would love to talk about you know, uh, what are the, what are, what are three tips you can give us um, to give to our audience members to kind of really get on the right track, you know, whether sure. they are first time, you know, parents or, you know, they are working on their second or third, you know, yeah. what is it, what is it that you can offer, you know, for them, you know, right now? And I would love to t- kind of talk about after you're done with that sure. um, oral baby.
1: Yes. Oh yeah, sure. Um. So three tips. I think if you and and just to say this out loud i'm going to give you like best and best possible situation tips um most of these tips there are ways to work around it and find support without the best possible situation so it's not to say that just like us folks who have a certain income can pull this off it's it's available everywhere and if you if anybody needs information or support or referrals like they are welcome to get in touch with me the first thing i would say is to actually have a consult with a board certified lactation consultant before you give birth. <laughs> so while you are still pregnant, um, breastfeeding classes are great. I teach them. Okay. not right now because everybody shut down thanks to uh, our mm-hmm. pandemic. But you know, I uh, situations are so specific that I do feel like, especially hospital, prenatal breastfeeding classes tend to be very tailored towards like, what we're going to do for you here in the hospital versus what's expected and how we can maximize your, you know, it's almost like, here's what we can do and what we will do and what we'll expect you to do. But it's not a lot of tailoring in my experience. So if you can have a consult with a board certified lactation consultant before giving birth, that would be magical. If you know what hospital you're delivering at, I guarantee you, if you call the hospital and speak to the operator and ask to be transferred to the lactation department. Whoever answers the phone will be so excited to have someone to check in with prenatally that it's, it wouldn't even be a question. You know what I mean? Like we would be more than happy over the phone in person if they can make it happen. We are, we want to be seeing moms ahead of time. So we know what to expect and they know what to expect. And we can come up with a plan before everything falls apart after you've given birth. So if you can do that um, by all means, if you can hire someone privately, that's spectacular. If you can, if you go to WIC and can ask to have a, you know, most WICs have lactation consultants who are there at least occasionally. If you have that program, then you can go in and ask to speak to one. You can, for there are some clinics that have lactation consultants that honestly, we want to help. So if you can be seen ahead of time, um, it's almost like a private lact- breastfeeding class, but it will be tailored to you. I highly recommend it. The second thing I would recommend if it is within your ability to do, is to hire a doula when you for when you are in labor, um, even if you're having a cesarean birth. Uh, right now, it's a little tricky, right? Because like nobody's allowed near the mom, which is its own horrifying issue. Um, while she's in labor, it's like just not cool to not have enough support. But that's what it is. If you can get a doula, um, doulas are not medical providers. They are trained in emotional, spiritual, and physical comfort and support during labor. Labor is not an easy thing. There's a reason it is called labor. I did it once with an epidural. It was great during the moment. I paid for it afterwards. The other two, I just grinned and bare it and it sucked and it was not fun. But having someone there to help me stay grounded and help me get through it meant that the recovery and the other end of things was much easier, right? So if you can, um, there's data on the effects of doulas in labor as well. There's plenty of it. You can go to Dona, um, doulas of North America, their website, they have all the research listed there. It reduces the risk of cesarean deliveries, of vacuum extractions, of epidurals, of all of these things that like, yes, we should have all these options. Absolutely. We just need to be given informed consent, which we are not usually. And a doula can help you navigate. Like, what are my options? If you want the epidural the minute you get there, then you know that you want that. And you can have a plan going into labor because what happens in labor really affects breastfeeding like a hundred percent on the other side. So if you can get a doula, there are a lot of birth doulas who are just getting, they're still getting their hours Um, And so they won't charge or they won't charge very much. You can always check in with Dona or check in with like local midwives or even with your OB, there are a lot of very progressive, wonderful um, medical providers, OBGYNs who know this, have this information, have people they've worked with or seen work before who they might be able to refer you to. get more help (laughs) during labor if you can to avoid some of the interventions as much as possible, Um, as much as possible. If it's not possible and it's not safe then it's not your thing then that's cool too but having one even during cesarean deliveries someone who could be there with you afterwards who is more than just giving opinions like you know maybe grandma will but actually has evidence based some lactation training it's a huge it's a huge thing right birth used to be all the women of the community coming together to support the woman who was in labor and get her through that process and then through the first six to eight weeks or so, depending on the culture. Whereas here, we're like, all right, baby's out, get up and walk around. We'll see you, you know, go home at 24 hours and we'll see you back at work in six weeks, right? So the more support you can get in labor, the better. And then the back end of that is getting help in the postpartum period. It is very hard because we are, I know, because I am one, like strong, independent women and we can handle our shit, right? Like we mm-hmm. can handle this. We don't, mm-hmm. you know, we have our husbands, we have, I'm telling you, you need more. So as someone who made the mistake with the first of thinking that, She could do all of the things and she could not do all of the things. There are postpartum doulas who are also trying to get their hours and they are there to do whatever you need. I had a lovely postpartum doula with my third, right, of all you think I would have had this more on lockdown by then. She did dishes. She did laundry. She played with my other children. She took my other kids for a walk so I could take a nap. She held the baby so I could shower. My husband had to go back to work. It's not, we don't all have the ability to be supported by our partners because of the way we've set things up uh, in our society. So if you can get more help, do it. And if you can't get a postpartum doula, then when people offer to do stuff, let them. Let them feed you. Let them come clean your house. Let them take your kids out for a walk. Let them pay a bill. Do you need, what do you need? Tell them what you need. Get People want to help you. And if they're asking, it's because they they want to support. So taking that six-week period, it doesn't mean we have to be as dramatic as, you know, some... Mothers-in-law would have us be and like never leave the bed. But there is something about resting. It does not take six weeks or eight weeks to recover from giving birth. That just means that the, where the placenta detached from the uterus is healed. It doesn't mean anything about the stitches or the, you know, the sacral pain or the spinal headache or right. the angry boobs or the, uh, you know, sore back or the. Whatever you know, and that 's assuming you didn 't get cut open and have major abdominal surgery. research shows us that a woman 's body physiologically she 's back to normal somewhere between a year and a half to two years after giving birth. It is not just birth you 're recovering from it is being pregnant <laughs> right, so take the time that you can as much as you can, whatever's within your ability, and just lay around rest mm-hmm. with your baby. This is gotcha. when breastfeeding starts to work is getting the opportunity. To just lay there and binge on Netflix and have people feed you and fan you with palm leaves, if possible, and just practice. Be with your child and and recover from that experience. No matter how textbook or beautiful or perfect or idyllic that process is, it's confronting and it's Mm -hmm. physical and it requires respect and it requires space for recovery. And I think that that's something that if if I could give any suggestion, it is be prepared (laughs) to allow yourself the space to recover.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha! Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um. So, what about uh, Oral Baby?
1: Oral Baby. Oral Baby is just my. I just broke into a big old grin uh, when you mentioned it. I have wanted for years to have some kind of private practice, and um, either out of fear because I'm the primary breadwinner, or Uh, you know, that whole imposter syndrome where none of us feel like we're actually good enough to do any of the things we're good enough to do. Um, I just put it off and put it off and put it off. And um, I have two really wonderful friends, um, Rocky and Reshmi, amazing, both doctors and phenomenal, like they're twins and they're just the coolest people in life. And Reshmi came to me um, late last year and was like, hey, what if we do like a telehealth lactation? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And so I kind of like, I don't know, just out of like fear of what that would entail, kind of was like, all right, I'll just let her drag me along in this process. Um, And then once it kind of got started, I'm now just having the time of my life. It's become, it's becoming um, a really beautiful, inclusive, respectful, but also funny, (laughs) because I don't do anything without a little touch of sarcasm, um, Mm -hmm. community. And the hope is to. Yes, be able to provide a space where, especially during a pandemic, um, new families can see me, can talk to me, can consult with me um, one-on-one via, you know, telehealth mm-hmm. uh, for all of these needs, prenatal through, you know, weaning, whatever is needed, um, but also to to provide a support to a community that you know, I remember being the mom at two and three in the morning, just like scouring the interwebs, like, oh my God, what's wrong with my kid? And why don't my boobs work? And I would like, you know, we're working towards trying to centralize a lot of that, of the good information, the real information, the reasonable expectations and actual actionable ways to manage it. um, So that moms and dads and new parents and lactators and supporters of lactators have places, have a place to go where they can get good evidence-based real life um real world help with a mm-hmm. touch of snark um so we are on Instagram at my oro baby um mm-hmm. if you can like link all that stuff, but I would love to just grow continue to grow this community because it's the goal is to be a really safe, strong place for people to come um to feel loved and cared for and supported and you know, have a laugh (laughs) and get some boob help. How about that?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, and we'll include those links in the show notes, um, oral baby, you know, .com and all the social media links. Uh, Chelsea, so thank you so much for hopping onto the show and providing us, you know, with your experiences, wisdom, and just really, you know, highlighting, because I feel like this is not really talked about. And, right. <laughs> um, you know, as we had mentioned, that, you know, from training, education, you know, and, but, you know, guess what? We are, we're always going to have mothers and we're yes. always going to have that period of weaning and, you yeah. know, and uh, getting that baby to thrive, essentially. This is sure. a very important to do so. So I appreciate you taking the time out. Thank pleasure. you again. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again. And
1: thank you for highlighting it. I, I, it's not, it's rare that, <laughs> we get to have like, real conversations about like what's what, you know, and I, I, very much appreciate having the opportunity to do that with you today.
0: Well, it was my pleasure. And, um, Hey guys, thank you so much for hopping onto the show. If you like this, please like subscribe and follow. And we will see you on the next one. Thank you again, Chelsea. Thank you. Hey guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you liked that episode, Please subscribe and follow for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.